There's this door down here. And I'll bet there's something behind it. From the darkest corners of Chicago, this is the unenthusiastic critics' Halloween movie marathon. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the unenthusiastic critic. I'm Michael McDonough. I write about film and television at unaffiliatedcritic.com. With me today, because the funeral is about to begin, is my lovely wife, Nakia, also known as the Unenthusiastic Critic. Hello. <laughs> How are you today? I'm fine. On today's episode, Nakia and I begin a five-week ordeal of horrors, <laughs> hauntings, and home invasions as we commence the Unenthusiastic Critic's 2020 Halloween Movie Marathon. Each week in October, we'll be watching at least one essential horror masterpiece. Only one. At least one. Only one. And we're beginning this week with a true cult classic, Don Coscarelli's Phantasm from 1979. Nakia, this is our third annual horror marathon on the podcast, but we started The Unenthusiastic Critic as a blog series in 2011, so you and I have been actually watching horror movies together for nearly a decade now. Mm-hmm. And I don't know about you, I like to think that this is the purest form of what we do. The entire premise of The Unenthusiastic Critic, as the name implies, is that you are watching movies you fundamentally do not want to watch. Mm -hmm. And with the possible exception of musicals, there's no genre you are less enthusiastic about than horror movies. That is correct. Okay. And that's, so I was thinking about that and realizing, I mean, that's built into the genre itself, right? I mean, horror is really the only genre we go to deliberately in order to have a bad experience. In fact, we we grade movies based on how effective they are at giving us negative emotions. It's like, oh, you really have to see that movie? It totally fucked me up. We don't do that with, you know, other movies. Passion of the Christ. Uh, okay. Sure, I'll give you that one. Wasn't that basically a horror movie? I didn't that see it. terrifying. <laughs> And we, we even get nostalgic for bad experiences mm-hmm. with, you know, people like me making other people like you mm-hmm. watch stuff just because we fondly remember that it traumatized us as children. It's like that formative experience we need to pass on. So, I mean, I don't actually want to get into a, you know, psychological or sociological discussion about why people like horror movies. I think that's... We're not qualified for that. No, that's been well covered by people way smarter than us. But I was thinking about that, and then I had this related revelation, which is that this deliberately having bad experiences thing is true in two different ways with horror. We like watching a great, well-executed, deeply traumatizing horror movie, you know, whether it's The Exorcist or The Babadook or whatever, something Mm -hmm. that's actually good. But I think we also like watching bad horror movies. In a way, again, I'm not sure we do with any other genre. A badly written, badly acted comedy, nobody wants to go back and revisit that. Sure. It's it's just a shitty movie. Mm -hmm. A badly written, badly acted horror movie, on the other hand, is not only something people will go back and watch, it's something that can actually become a cult classic and, you know, launch a 10-film franchise. And I don't know why that is. What do you think? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think horror lends itself to 
absurdity. Um, <laughs> and so if it's not going to scare you, then if you can laugh at it, I think that that's just as, if not even more enjoyable. And I just think the maybe just the, the sort of fundamental elements of horror just make it right for that sort of thing. Like if the gore is really bad, then that then becomes funny. <laughs> Um, and something that's trying to scare you that doesn't, mm-hmm. there's just a, like, you just, that's absurd. You just have to sort of laugh at it because it's like somebody trying really hard and failing just miserably. <laughs> so you just have to More laugh. than if it's a drama More or a comedy. More than if it were a drama or... or a comedy. I mean, I think there are sort of so bad they're good movies outside of Sh- horror. Yeah, sure. But I think with horror, there's so much possibility. <laughs> <laughs> For so bad, it's good. Um, I mean, I think a classic example, and it's one of the first movies we watched when we started doing this, was Evil Dead. mm -hmm. Right? Which is now, you know, universally beloved. Mm -hmm. And in many ways, unquestionably a great movie. It's also in many ways, objectively, a bad bad. movie. The acting is terrible. The dialogue is worse than terrible. The special effects, while inventive... Don't always work. There's ridiculous continuity errors in there where somebody gets their head chopped off and it's not even the same person's head that rolls at the screen. In many ways, it's a terrible movie, but it's considered an all-time classic despite or even because because of, of those problems. Yeah. I mean, and those are just elements that you don't get anywhere else other than horror. I think it's one of those genres that, you know, you think about the good just as much as you think about the bad films. All right, well, I I don't know what to do with this. I just thought it was an interesting question to throw out on the table, especially since you, in my experience, enjoy bad horror movies more than good horror movies. I don't know what you mean by that. (laughs) Really? Yeah. You're going to sit there and pretend you you don't know what I mean by that? I'm not pretending. I don't know what you mean by that. Okay, let me ask you a question. Which do you prefer? Okay. The original, subtle, sophisticated, black and white classic? Okay, this the is haunting, a very biased question. You're setting this up really. Or the terrible CGI-infested <laughs> 90s remake of The Haunting? 90s remake. If, if they're both on television, which one are you going to watch? I'm watching the 90s remake. <laughs> Why? Because it's good. It's, it's not. You know it's... This is what I'm trying to get at. It's Catherine You Day know Jones. it's not good. It's um, really bad. It's, it is not really bad. It is really, it's really bad. It's really not that bad. It's not that bad. Especially compared to the source material. It has one of the Owens in it. What is it? Which one, <laughs> one is it? One uh, of the Wilsons. Yes, yes, Will, Owen yes one Wilson. of the Wilsons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think he gets his head chopped off in a fireplace. Yes, he does. I yes. remember that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's a... With a big CGI it's lion it is thing comes down. Brilliant. It's terrible. It's so good. You like that movie. It is so good. You like 13 Ghosts. Also excellent. <laughs> Tony Shalhoub in a fancy-ass mansion that he, like, magically inherits from this uncle he never knew or something. And it's all glass, and it's clearly an evil home, and yet it takes them way too long to figure out that it is haunted. So I, this is what I'm getting at, because I, I mean, I basically have to strap you into the, you know, Ludovico chair mm-hmm. from A Clockwork Orange to get you to watch Don't Look Now or The Exorcist or whatever. But then I go into the living room and I find you voluntarily watching Freddy vs. Jason. First of all, let's not put Freddy vs. Jason on the same <laughs> list as 13 Ghosts or... I'm sorry, is it better or worse? It's, I don't, I watched Freddy vs. Jason. Because I can't tell the difference. Like, you walked in when I was watching it because I just happened to turn it on and I was like, oh, I've never seen this. And so I watched it. (laughs) You watched the whole thing. But it's not something that I will ever watch again. Well, of course I watched the whole thing. I need to finish it. But (laughs) 
It's not the same as 13 Ghosts, which I will go back and watch, or um, The Haunting, which I, w- I have watched repeatedly. So that's that's an outlier. I was just watching it because I had never actually seen it. Okay, let me ask you a question that's going to cinch this this debate. Okay. What is your favorite Stephen King adaptation? Sleepwalkers. <laughs> Sleepwalkers. Sleepwalkers is a fucking brilliant <laughs> film. That movie is so, so bad. There is so much going on. <laughs> None of it makes sense. All of it is perfect. None of it has to make sense. There are... Mother and son, but also alien lovers. Also cat people who are afraid, afraid of, of cats. cats. But we're not, that's never sort of clear. To, and there, we, yeah, we're never And then really there's sure a, the cop in town why. conveniently drives around with a cat. Clovis. In his car. You know the cat's name? Of course or, I know is the that the cop's name or the cat's that's name? That's the fucking cat's name. His name is Clovis. Clovis is amazing. It is brilliant. It is so good. And they have like magical powers where they can, I think they call it dimming. They can dim themselves and make themselves invisible or sort of shift the, like, fucking molecules of shit so they can, like, change cars into a different model of car. There's so much amazing shit in that movie it's so, that you can't it's possibly so consider it bad. Because and you will just, watch it every time it's on. Because it's amazing. Awesome soundtrack, which was then, like, it's sampled by the Fugees. I just, like, you just can't. It's so good. <laughs> And it's never really, like, I think they have, like, sucked the life force out of virgin okay. girls or something. Yes, they do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's none of it is ever explained. No, because none of it makes any sense. But it's perfect. And here's my thing. I do not judge you. And okay. we didn't even get to the fact that Otho from Beetlejuice uh-huh. yeah. plays a teacher who's also apparently, like, a pedophile. Because uh-huh. yeah. he tries to hit on the boy alien. Yeah, we didn't get to that because we're not actually talking about that movie. And then... Because he's like, and this is my thing. This is my like, thing is that you will happily. And he rips his hand off and it's like, you should keep your hand to yourself. And he hands it back to him. <laughs> Amazing movie. You would happily sit here for two hours talking about that movie. I love Sleepwalkers. Or talking about the haunting yes. remake. Mm-hmm. And here's what I started to say is I don't judge you for loving these movies. That's kind of my shit. whole thesis. Is that we all love these terrible movies. I do not think that those are terrible movies. But when you and I sit down to do this, I cannot get you to engage these movies. I mean, there is no difference in quality, leaving out the horrible transphobia, between Sleepwalkers and Sleepaway Camp. How the hell? And yet you cannot relate to Sleepaway Camp on that level. Because first of all, you don't get to say, leaving aside the transphobia, (laughs) as if that's just something we can put to the side. I grant you that's a big thing to leave out. It's the the fucking center of the film (laughs) is based on this idea that trans bodies are somehow monstrous. So you don't get to say, well, leaving aside the transphobia. I'm saying, forgetting the content. It's the, the content is the film. Just leave content aside. Quality of filmmaking, quality of dialogue, etc. Mm-hmm. Those movies are on about the same. No, they are not. About the same show. No, they are not. Sleepwalkers are. is clearly above and beyond Sleepaway Camp. Sleepaway Camp is bad and also bad for the world. Infinitely better than either in every category is Reanimator. No. But... No, because that has head rape in it. So, again, you had to, oh, well, leaving aside the fact that this woman is sexually assaulted by a disembodied okay, disembodied. that was not head. your objection. Wasn't it? It was one of my objections. So, 
my films are good films and don't But really, doesn't it just come down to the fact that those films got to you in your formative years? No. You have talked about your mother was a big horror fan and used to tape all the horror movies off the cable. Okay, she's not dead. She is a horror fan. Not <laughs> oh, I didn't, well, I didn't know how, you know, if she was still doing she that. She's still a horror film fan. Okay. <laughs> And so you watched all these horrible movies uh-huh. at an impressionable age. Sure. Which is what happened to, you know, us with some of these other movies. The difference is you just can't relate to these now. Maybe you're coming to them too late. No, they're bad. <laughs> they're not. Nothing is worse than Sleepwalkers. I don't know why you can't. <laughs> I I really don't understand why you cannot Nothing see is worse than that haunting the remake. The genius of Sleepwalkers. <laughs> Or of the haunting remake. Those are good films. Sleepaway Camp is a fucking hate crime, and you should be ashamed. <laughs> None of my shit is on, you know, Glad's list of the worst things ever. So I, I don't know why we're even having this argument. Well, we're having this argument, obviously, because that part of your brain that enjoys cheesy, not entirely successful production values, etc., is going to be required to enjoy Phantasm this week. Mm-hmm. And so I'm trying to figure out how we engage that. We don't, because none of the ones that... What was the one with the monkey? <laughs> Phenomena. So, like, this is you, this is this type of shit you bring to me, and you want me to enjoy it, and I don't know how I'm supposed to do that, because it's a monkey stabbing someone. Pre, it was premeditated murder on the part of a monkey. The part of a, uh, part of a monkey who, yeah. with, a, with a straight razor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tell me you didn't enjoy watching that movie. <laughs> I did not enjoy it. Tell me you didn't have fun discussing that movie. <laughs> we had more fun talking about that than we had talking about Lawrence of Arabia. Well, th- what the hell are you going to say about Lawrence of Arabia? <laughs> you say it's beautiful 80,000 times, and that's all you really can say about Lawrence of Arabia. It's fucking beautiful. So there is a value mm-hmm. in ridiculous, not entirely successful horror movies. Sure, if it is not also transphobic <laughs> or, you know, advocating rape by dismembered head or all the, like, this other shit. Sure, fine. Do you, want, do you want to talk about any more brilliant films like that? I'm trying to think of other horror movies that I enjoy. Oh, the one with, um, maybe I have a thing about mansions. <laughs> with uh, Richard Price. Richard Price. Is it Richard Price? Probably not. No. <laughs> Vincent Price? Yes. Okay. Who's Richard Price? He's a writer. Oh. That was, okay, yes. Vincent Price. Another Haunted Mansion sort of thing, but that's like all set up because I think he's like trying to get money out of his wife or something or his ex-wife. Uh, Vincent Price was in the original. It's House on Haunted Hill. Yes. With Tay Diggs. But you're talking about, the again, <laughs> the shitty ass remake Who's With Jeffrey Rush. Jeffrey Rush. That's who and it is. Famke Jansen, yes. I think, is in that. Yes, that's yeah. another one that I really that like. That is l- basically the same movie as 13 Ghosts <laughs> and equally terrible. <laughs> it's not, though. It's really good. Again, very good film. Really enjoy it. How are we using the word good? In the regular way. In the traditional sense? In the way that we all understand the word good. So the writing is... Excellent. <laughs> Character. Excellent. Story. Excellent. <laughs> so I like that one. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So do you think you think you can you can have an open mind? No. That other movies might possibly be good in the same way. I mean, possibly, but you have yet to show me one. Sure. Okay. I see it. I see it all now. What we gotta do is we gotta snag that tall dude. And stomp the shit out of him, and we'll find out what the hell is going on up there. 
Yeah, who lay that sucker out flat and drive a stake right through his goddamn heart. You gotta be shitting me, man. That mother's strong. Okay, so what... What, if anything, do you actually know about Phantasm? I did not know this film existed until you mentioned it two days ago. So. Okay. <laughs> so I think, I think you're not totally alone in that. Okay. And I had somehow never seen Phantasm. It was a movie I was aware of, but I don't know if, you know, when I was a teenager and rent, my friends and I were renting all these movies, maybe our local video store just didn't stock the VHS of Phantasm. Mm-hmm. So I never saw it until very recently. But I was I was about ten minutes into it when I realized that we should definitely watch this movie together. Which means I'm gonna hate for it. this project. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and in fact, as I was looking for you know articles and things on it, I found an article on the Decider website by Winston Cook Wilson. This was last he wrote this last Halloween. The article is entitled "Phantasm is the surrealist horror classic you shouldn't go another Halloween without watching." So that's us. We are not going another Halloween without watching. Phantasm. Because the decider said so? (laughs) Do you need a better reason? Yeah, yeah, I do. Here's what Cook Wilson says. In the waning years of the 1970s, the tropes of horror film as we know them today were being invented or solidified with each new release. These were the years of Halloween and Alien, of Dawn of the Dead and Invasion of the Body Snatchers, some of the unimpeachable classics of slasher, zombie, and monster horror. Don Coscarelli's 1979 debut film Phantasm should be ranked among their number as one of the most visionary horror films of its decade, but it is harder to characterize its legacy. Outside of the fact that it was more or less out of print for years, its profile has remained lower than those films because it was almost too weird to be imitated or have a clear impact on the genre. So, inimitable visionary classic of the late 70s that should now be restored to its proper place in the canon. Mm-hmm. Mark Savlov, writing in the Austin Chronicle, says, Phantasm oddly loved as much for its readily apparent flaws as for its creepy virtues has evolved into a genuine underground cult film phenomenon with its own fan conventions, midnight screenings, and rabid websites, all while staying resolutely below the mainstream genre radar. Are you getting excited now? I am not, no. All right. Made for $300,000, Phantasm was a labor of love for 23-year-old Don Coscarelli and his friends. They shot it over more than a year of doing just weekend shoots. Uh, Coscarelli would rent a bunch of film equipment on Friday and return it on Monday, and they'd shoot on the weekends and then go back to their jobs, you know, pumping gas or whatever they were doing. You know, it was largely he and his friends. The director's mother has apparently three credits on this movie as, you know, production designer, costumer, etc. And he made the entire thing, he said, based basically on a dream he had. And I think it it has a little bit of that dream logic. Mm -hmm. The first cut apparently ran over three hours, which did not play well with test audiences. So Coscarelli went back to the editing room and basically cut the movie in half, jettisoning most of the character development and, I don't know, but I have to assume, a lot of the explanation of the plot. Uh, But this movie, made for $300,000, went on to make $12 million at the box office. Wow. That's a pretty good return on investment. And later became a cult sensation on VHS. And then, following the rejuvenation of the horror genre that happened, you know, in the 70s and 80s, Universal was somehow sufficiently encouraged to give Coscarelli $3 million to shoot Phantasm 2. And to date, there have been a total of five films in the Phantasm franchise. I've never heard of this. <laughs> How did your mother miss this, this I, one? I have no idea. Oh, okay. The latest was released in 2016, and it's probably the last, because it was released shortly before the death of Angus Scrim, who plays the villainous tall man in all five movies. 
I confess I have not seen any of the sequels. I understand that it expands the mythology of this world Mm -hmm. without really explaining a whole lot. I I went and read some articles because I assumed later movies would have to answer some questions that I was left with at the end of this movie. They, They do not seem to do that. So we're going to have to, you know, figure figure a few of those things out for ourselves, I think. Okay. And I think, I mean, you know, you could probably guess from how I led into this, parts of this movie are a little rough. Yeah. And yet, also proving my point, Time Out listed this as number 75 on its list of the 100 greatest horror movies of all time. Wired named it one of the 25 best horror films of all time. The... 2004 Bravo special 100 Scariest Movie Moments of All Time listed one of these scenes at number 25. So, again, despite, or perhaps because of, some of its flaws, this has become an all-time classic. J.J. Abrams is apparently a huge fan, and a few years ago, he wanted to show it to his team at his production company, and there wasn't a good print available, so he funded a 4K restoration of this movie which is what we're going to watch. It's on Amazon Prime for people who want to watch it. And I think that ties in, I, I do think, coming back to this thing about the the sort of endearing quality of bad horror movies, I think of J.J. Abrams' Super 8 mm-hmm. and those kids making the zombie movie. I think there is something about that spirit of making a horror movie like that that is just charming. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I think, again, I think horror movies just have more latitude. And I think we allow a lot more in horror films than we allow in other things. Like, the DIY-ness of a horror film can be what we like about it. Mm-hmm. Whereas there's less room for that maybe in other film spaces. So that's, okay, that's cool. Okay, so you can go into this in that spirit? No. <laughs> Why not? Because you badmouth my films, so... <laughs> really nowhere else to go with that film okay i got nothing else let's go watch phantasm okay all right phantasm the delusion of a disordered mind a phantom a spirit a ghost for nearly four decades it has been contained but evil always has a way of breaking free Tommy's gone. <laughs> it's hard to believe. It was a good idea not to let your little brother come to the funeral. Hey, I don't like this place. Something weird is going on up there. The funeral is about to begin, sir. <laughs> What's wrong with you? There's something up there. I saw it. Got some kind of an overactive imagination or something? I know you're not gonna believe this, but these things were here. Oh, give me a break. Okay, I believe you. What we gotta do is lay that sucker out flat and drive a stake right through his goddamn heart. gonna run that tall bastard straight down to hell. You play a good game, boy. But the game is finished. Now you die. Phantasm. You don't 
fear. And we're back. During the break, Nakia and I watched Phantasm. Nakia, this movie has, I think it has like a 78 approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes. But let's forget the stuffy critics for a moment. And do something we haven't done in a while and look at IMDb user reviews. Mm. The voice of the common people. I wouldn't say common, but okay. (laughs) First, this positive review from someone called Baby Bink. This movie takes the prize for boldly spitting in the face of such old standbys as plot, structure, character development, narrative arc, tone, reason, common sense, temporal cohesiveness, and logic more effectively and with more glee than any other film ever made. It's a great time. And what I find interesting about these reviews is the 10-star reviews seem to use a lot of the same language as the one-star reviews. Yes, because that's also a reason to hate this film. (laughs) Here's one from Kelson Williams. This is a one-star review. I could not for the life of me understand how anyone could love this film so much. The acting is terrible. The story makes no sense at all. And there seems to be a complete and total disregard for continuity from start to finish. Many reviews on here say that once you get past the bad acting, worse script, nonsensical parts, lack of scares, lack of continuity, lack of gore, etc., etc., that it is a true classic. But really, once you get past all that, what's left? Pretty much. Somewhere in between all of that, I suspect, is your reading of this movie. Nakia, what did you think of Phantasm? Uh, Jesus. (laughs) Um, If I am being generous. Well, please be generous. I can make the argument that... The film is, in actuality, the dream of, like, a 12-year-old boy. hmm And as such, the lack of character, lack of plot, <laughs> total nonsensical nature of it. Questionable editing. All of it <laughs> then makes sense and uh-huh. seems intentional. But that is only if you say, okay, this was all a dream. Well, it was. Well, that's also not totally clear, though, at the end. <laughs> it's not even remotely right. clear. So that's me being very, very generous. <laughs> As an experience, I hated it. I just, oh, God, It was really? just... Because it wasn't even... There were parts of it that I thought were fun. Maybe one part, actually. Mm-hmm. Only one part. Okay, let's stick a pin in that, because I'm going to want to know which part Um, that was. Otherwise, it just felt long, and it felt like somebody retelling their dream to you, and you know how fucking infuriating that is, because they think it's the most interesting, amazing thing on the world. You're just like, really? like. I I actually agree with that a little bit. For an hour and a half movie, it It, feels long. It feels long, and it feels like. And there's about four places where you think think this is the ending, and then it's not. It's not, and so it's just pissing me off because I'm just like, no, we got to wrap this up because (laughs) none of it warranted being any longer than it's just. Can you imagine being one of the test audiences at the three-hour screening? (laughs) I would have walked out. I would have left because that's no, no. I'm sorry because there's not enough there. It's not particularly scary, really. And I think someone in the comments mentions gore. There's only really a couple of moments of like goriness. It's not yeah, a particularly and, gory film, right? And the whole you're just sort of 
trying to the whole time you're just like who are these people why are they doing the things that they're doing none of it really makes any sense and yet it's all played kind of straight yeah and some one of the reviews i read i don't remember which one talked about that and said it's not bad in like a winking at the audience no self-aware sort of way even like evil dead was Mm -hmm. or like you know where we're very conscious that what we're doing is ridiculous yeah yeah it it's bad because this is what they had to work with this is what they were able to it's just to deliver it's like bad porn acting but no porn (laughs) and it's just yeah it's just and yet i do think it's kind of a classic of its sort is it yeah i can see and i think i will say i think i came to it too late too Mm -hmm. but i and this is where i tried to get us in the first half of this conversation i can easily imagine if i had seen this as a 12 year old remembering this as an essential classic I guess. But I mean, okay, so here's the difference, though, with... I know your feelings about Sleepwalkers, but Sleepwalkers make sense. Even in the ridiculous... Like, it's absolutely You're just ridiculous. talking from a plot perspective? From a plot... Like, I, I the characters... Think, like, it makes sense. I don't think that's true. Sense. We're not gonna... Again, nobody's seen that movie but you, so we cannot spend half this episode talking about that the movie. Difference. I'm sorry, I brought it up. I'm trying to explain the difference. Okay? <laughs> So I think that even if I did see Phantasm at the same time that I had seen Sleepwalkers, I uh, still would not have connected with it because there's nothing there to connect to. But that's the point. I mean, okay, you want to talk about Sleepwalkers or whatever, any of those movies. Well, yeah, they make sense because they're more pedestrian. They work on oh, so this boring narrative this logic, really? start to finish, really? three-act structure. So quotidian in that they dare the have a plot. logic. Uh-huh. I do think that dream logic sort of works. I think this movie creates a strange disorienting effect. Fine, but then I think that that is a one-off. That's like an art film school, art school. Like, <laughs> well, it was supposed. This was never supposed to be a franchise. Actually. I'm gonna do something weird with film, <laughs> and it's gonna. It's not. It's gonna throw all the conventions of film out the door. But to do this, how many? Six times? Five times? F- five times. Five today. more times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no. And apparently, it never makes more sense. <laughs> so no, it's like okay, it's that's cute for one thing of like, and again, it wouldn't be something that I would go back and rewatch. It's just like, oh, that was. I guess that could be interesting. And I think in terms of, I again, I don't know how influential we can say Phantasm was, because it is fairly inimitable. Mm-hmm. But I think, and again, I don't know if he would cite this movie as a as an influence. It was Nightmare on Elm Street. It's very... Well, yeah, I think that's there, too. I think definitely Freddy Krueger draws on this directly. Yeah. I was thinking David Lynch. Mm. I think some of David Lynch's movies have this same sort of dream logic... Where you watch them and you're like, what the fuck just happened? Sure. I have no idea. Sure. There are specific scenes in this movie that I think are very Lynchian. And we could talk about those when we get to them. But, I mean, you know, Lynch maybe does it maybe, on a bigger really? budget. Maybe with a little more skill in some And something to say. Areas. <laughs> but I, I, think there's, I think there's a connection there. I think there's a continuity there. Okay, sure. <laughs> Okay, so uh, how do you how do you want to tackle this? I have no idea. <laughs> uh, do, do you just kind of want to go through the movie? I mean, I don't know if we can. <laughs> I no, <laughs> I, cannot. <laughs> I cannot sit here and go through this film. Uh, no, you gotta figure something else out. No. <laughs> okay, but I I mean I I think there are key scenes that we really have to have to touch Fine. upon. Let's talk about key scene key key themes. <laughs> I mean, we open with graveyard sex. As we do in many horror films. <laughs> and the first of two gratuitous boob shots. 
Can we talk about the fact that the way her legs were positioned didn't really make sense for the way her upper body seemed to be positioned? It is unclear to me whether anyone involved in making this movie had ever actually had sex. It was like a downward dog. <laughs> it was a very weird... And I was like, how is she doing that? I mean, it's it's very possible that she was... But maybe that's because she wasn't a she at she all. She is not a she, she, was at all. she was actually the, the tall, tall man. man. Yeah, so... Which then explained the uh, attractiveness differential because I looked at her and I looked at the dude and I was like, what the fuck? Tommy, yes. yeah. Is not yeah, an attractive gentleman. No. No, I think that's why he was relegated to role of The <laughs> Kevin Costner role? <laughs> sure, we can call it the <laughs> Kevin Costner role. So they're having sex. Then she Stabs knifes him. him. Mm-hmm. I don't remember if we see... We don't. Do we get a flash of the tall man then? I think um, we might. I think we do get a flash of the okay. tall man, yes. Yes. <laughs> I thought you were asking if we saw like blood or anything, which I don't think. But she, like, sh- she shoves a knife in his chest. And then the next scene, we're at his funeral. Mm-hmm. It's daytime. Mm-hmm. And Jody and Reggie mm-hmm. are talking about it. And Jody says, hard to believe that he killed himself. Yeah. Because ah. people don't commit suicide by stabbing themselves in the stomach. <laughs> in a graveyard <laughs> with their pants down. But... Sure. Sure. Maybe he's into some weird shit. We're going to rule that a suicide, apparently. Mm -hmm. And this is our introduction to the, you know, the, what is it? Mortuary, mausoleum, funeral home? What are we calling this? Mausoleum, I guess. Sure. Funeral home. And the graveyard that attached to it, which Mm -hmm. is where we're going to spend most of this movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, Talk talk to me about this place. It looks like a plantation. Okay, everything looks like a plantation to you. Well, this literally looks like a plantation. <laughs> it's a huge white home with columns, and it's a, it looks like a plantation. Okay. Uh, well, I guess that's appropriate, as we will discuss later. Sure. Yeah, it's a big-ass funeral home <laughs> on a on a graveyard, acres and acres of graveyard, with a very beautiful mausoleum, marble from top to bottom. Creepy as shit, though. Yeah, well, it's a mausoleum. All funeral homes, and th- like those are all inherently creepy. It's just... But the the interior of that place, that's one of the things where I I see a direct David Lynch. Mm -hmm. Um, You didn't watch a lot of Twin Peaks. No. But the the Red Lodge in Twin Peaks or the Black Lodge, whatever the lodge was, (laughs) looks a lot like Mm -hmm. this place. Mm -hmm. With the little statues and the curtains and... Lots of hallways and... Yeah. And I actually think... And this is something Roger Ebert said in his one and a half star (laughs) review. Yeah. But he said the director has some talent. He said the pacing is good, which that we can argue about. And he said his camera placement is good. And I think that's true. I think there are some nice, I won't say Kubrickian, but going for that shots in this movie. Mm-hmm. You're, you're not willing to concede that? I think you're throwing out a lot of words right now. <laughs> Kubrickian and Lynchian. And you're, you're giving it a lot, of, a lot of credit right now. But okay, sure. <laughs> Okay, so, so uh, let's, okay, we'll try some, we meet Jody. Yeah. These are our three characters. Jody, the, who's the older brother. Mm-hmm. Reggie. Reggie, who's Jody's the friend. prematurely balding, ponytailed, ice cream man. Sure. And Michael, mm-hmm. who is, how, younger brother. how old is Michael, do you I think? would say he's probably like 12 or 13, 12 or maybe. 13. Yeah. He could be 15. Uh, Michael and Jody's parents have died mm-hmm. fairly recently mm-hmm. in a car accident or something. Yeah. And we learned that Michael did not take the death of his parents well, that he had nightmares and things for a long time after they had died. Right. And so he was not brought to Tommy's funeral because they thought that it would sort of... Be upsetting for him. 
but he sneaks and so instead he goes and rides his motorbike all over the graveyard <laughs> disrespectfully and then just watches it from the bushes with binoculars yes like a weirdo i mean My- michael basically stalks his older brother yes throughout this entire movie yes what we learn is he has a very deep fear that jody is going to leave him he's, he's got some serious abandonment issues after the death of his parents so he follows jody and it becomes weird uh, <laughs> pretty quickly. And they obviously should have gotten that kid some therapy. But okay, so let's let's step back here because I think I think that's ultimately what this what this movie is about is no, it's all fear of death and fear of loneliness. And so right, this that, is ad- that adolescent fear yeah. of death. I think there's some fear of sex Absolutely. we can throw in there. Yeah. I think there's a general fear of growing up. Mm-hmm. You could even extend that metaphor to, you know, fear of growing up and becoming a slave in the labor force. I think I think there's some very deep and profound themes at work in this movie. I think it lucked up into some, I think this is one of those films that people just project a bunch of shit onto <laughs> to make it into something. But sure, yeah, that's all there. I, I feel like I failed to get you to engage with this movie in the right way. I, I've engaged as much as I'm going to engage. Again, it's somebody telling me their dream, and I'm just like over brunch, and I'm just, can I just eat my pancakes? Can we talk about something else? Okay, so we start to, so Michael starts to become aware that there's some weird shit happening. Mm-hmm. Um, as he's spying, he sees the tall man. This is Angus Scrim as the, he's the mortician, I guess, is what he is, right? Also, not he, super tall. <laughs> No, he's the tall man. Average he's called size, the gentleman. tall man. He's, yeah, he's known not, as he's not that tall. The tall man. <laughs> he's a, he's a, he doesn't seem to be that tall. The actor, in point of fact, was not that tall. <laughs> I think he's listed at six four, but I've seen some of the people who worked with him say that might have been an exaggeration, yeah. even. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are some scenes in which he's shot to appear freakishly yes, tall. Yes, he is. Other scenes where he is not, and it's obvious that he's not really he's a regularly tall. Man. Yeah, yeah, okay, but yeah, this is the tall man. Sure. <laughs> so after yes, after Tommy's funeral, everybody leaves, and then the tall man picks up to- Tommy's casket by himself, mm-hmm. throws it in the back of the hearse, and takes it away. Mm-hmm. So there's something nefarious happening here at the Morningside Cemetery. Sure. Okay, so somewhere in here, and I we're gonna lose. Let's admit we're gonna lose track of shit. In this movie. Mm-hmm. Somewhere in here, and this is another, to me, a very Lynchian bit. Uh, he, he goes to see this fortune teller. Sure. It's a random ass <laughs> moment. I, like, again, I don't know how to talk about this movie. Yes. So he goes to, <laughs> he goes to see this psychic slash fortune teller. Um, with, and she apparently only speaks through her granddaughter. <laughs> who, who, and they're both tattooed with stars on their faces. No explanation of anything. <laughs> Uh, and that's where he sort of first articulates his fear mm-hmm. that Jody is going to leave him. Um, and he talks about the tall man lifting the casket. And then <laughs> a black box just sort of appears magically out of right. thin air. So that, again, this is, he's apparently gone to visit these people before. Yes. So he's familiar with them. Mm-hmm. There's just outright magic already yeah. happening here. Yeah. And nobody's freaking out. Right. Uh, and she's like, the do- the granddaughter is like, put your hand in the box. <laughs> and then it apparently tries to like eat his hand off or something like that. And she's like, no fear. Have no fear. And it'll stop doing what and I, it's, I don't understand any of this. And, but apparently it was a lesson about him having no fear. And we'll come back around to that at the, towards the end of the film. I saw somebody somewhere, and I'll say it just so people don't think we missed it. I somebody said that's a reference to the movie Dune or the book Dune. 
I've not read. That there's a there's a similar box of pain in Dune. Uh, I I have read Dune years ago. I don't remember anything about it, so mm-hmm. I'm just gonna whatever. Okay, when critical plot moments <laughs> depend on people having read. But this is my thing with that. <laughs> this is my thing with that. It's not a critical plot moment because the, it, those people in any other film who seem like they should exactly. be important. But that's a problem because they never return. We no. never talk about it again. No. We see the granddaughter go to the mausoleum and enter into a door and she's never spoken about again. We have no idea what happened to her. Right. So that's a pro- that's a that's a problem. <laughs> And this, again, I come back to Twin Peaks because there's, there's like an old grandmother or something in Twin Peaks and like cream corn magically appears in her hand. It's weird. Yeah, no, I knew you were going to give me that look when I said that, but people will know what I'm talking about. But what you realize is that these sort of these forces of good and forces of evil that are both magic and they're fighting against each other in the town. And that's kind of what I thought was going on here. Like you got the old woman on the one hand and you got the tall man on the other hand and they're... And again, I don't know. Maybe this is all elaborated on in the sequels. I have no idea. And I will. But see, I see it as a feature. You see it as a bug. To me, I'm intrigued. I am. I'm annoyed because <laughs> I want to know more. They're never spoken of, as would I, in the film that I'm watching. <laughs> I don't want to then have to invest another four or five films worth of my life to figure out what the fuck was the deal with this silent old lady with the star on her forehead and the box that just disappears. <laughs> All right, fair enough. <laughs> All right, uh, talk to me about Jody. Jody is not. Jody's a non-entity. He doesn't really have. And I, and I should say he. I don't have any uh, any of the actors' names. I probably should, but I, I don't think, think any a, of them I think there's a reason I don't have their names. Beyond okay, this. go ahead. <laughs> He's really just pretty monotone through the whole thing. And non, it's just, I given all that's going on around him, <laughs> he's very he's very chill. <laughs> that is how Roger Ebert started his review, <laughs> and he talked about. He said, "I have another moment for my list of great bad horror moments, and it's the moment again we're skipping around where Michael shows his brother the still animated severed finger in the box of the tall man." <laughs> yes. <laughs> And Jody opens the box and closes it and says, okay. Like, you see that sort of shit every day. There are no follow-up questions, really. So I don't... What were the notes he was given? Like, I just... I was like, did some, it was on the paper, right? So at some point somebody decided, and this is how you're going to react to that. Just as if he showed you, I don't know, like... A butterfly in a box or something. Like, it's just, it was weird. And then, <sighs> just, so then he's having sex. So, okay. So he goes to a bar. <laughs> he goes to a bar. Jody goes to a bar. Because he needs to get the fuck away right. from this kid he's so who follows sick of his him little brother around Who everywhere. is following him to the bar. <laughs> yep. And within three minutes. Yeah. There's picks, one, there's the one blonde woman in the bar. He picks her up in about 30 seconds. Yeah. And they, she takes him to the graveyard. Which and is he, apparently the local sex spot. And he's just like, this is a little creepy. She's like, no, don't get to it. Which, okay. So number one, any woman that leaves a bar with you within five minutes of meeting you <laughs> is probably going to murder you or rob you or something. Like, it's just not going to be a good situation. And then if she takes you to a graveyard, uh-huh. that should be another flag. It wasn't for Jody. 
So they're having sex on a great a tombstone, I believe. Mm-hmm. Like, now, to be fair, this is the same woman from the graveyard scene. Yes, earlier, this is so the same. Not... Yes, no, we right. we know who she is. He <laughs> right. does not. Right. What I'm saying okay. is, he should be alarmed, and he isn't. Yeah, it doesn't raise any flags for him that she wants to go to the graveyard. So they start having sex in the graveyard, and Michael's watching from the bushes, <laughs> which is there is some fairly interesting sex choreography it's, here too. Yeah, it's weird. But Michael hears something in the bushes and so he sprints running past his brother and the chick having sex. Jody looks up, panties in teeth, and through his teeth says, "What the heck? Wait here, I think it's my brother. I think he's got some kind of problem." At that level of voice, like no again, like no emotion that should that reflects what just happened in that moment. Again, panties still in teeth. <laughs> the panties stay in his teeth for a long time. Like he starts time. running across the graveyard. He's still got the panties dangling from his mouth. He catches up with his brother and his brother's like, look, I saw something in the woods. There's something chasing me. Something's going on. And, and Jody's just like, you should just go home. <laughs> so I, again, I don't know if it's the actor's limitations. If he was given instructions, I was like, you're going to play this super cool, dude. Like you're just going to be cool. And not show that this is bothering you. <laughs> or perhaps, again, if we come back and say, okay, this is Michael's dream, then maybe this is how he sees his this brother. Is how, or it could as, just be this is know. how people react in dreams, sure. right? They don't react like things are weird. They just... So, but again, <laughs> this required me to do all of this in my head. Yes. To get it again, to Again, that's sense. a feature, not a bug. I think it is a bug. <laughs> because this is a choose-your-own-adventure sort of thing. I can either choose, this is shitty. Or... This is a dream, and this is or all intentional. Or you can expand on it, it within your own no, imagination. No, you can engage with no, it it's just in a creative bad. way. It's just bad. <laughs> His brother also never says, what the fuck are you doing spying on me while I'm no, having sex? because he is not <laughs> affected by anything. <laughs> okay, so uh, Michael's reaction to all of this is naturally to sneak off and investigate the mortuary by himself. <laughs> Breaking a window to break into the building and and look around a little bit and see if we can figure out what's going on. Mm-hmm. I was surprised you didn't raise an objection to that. There's a there's a lot of a lot of people make choices in this movie that you know. I mean, at this point, like it's it's moot. Like in just about every horror film, people are making choices that I wouldn't make. Like I I'm not an investigator, so if as soon as I saw him lift that coffin by himself, I would have just been like that's not my business, and I would never have mentioned it again. Wouldn't have gone over there again. <laughs> This is not my bit. Like, oh, okay, that's weird. So I don't have a curious nature in that way. Okay. Uh, so just silently agree. We're going to cremate people in our family, yeah. and we're going to skip just, this whole thing. We're just thing. not going to use that funeral home. <laughs> that's all. Personal note to self. I don't need to discover anything else about it. <laughs> okay. So uh, what happens when he's when he's investigating? So he breaks into the the mausoleum or whatever the hell. Mm-hmm. Um, he goes into a room like full of um, caskets. And a mortician, one of the tall man's one of lackeys, the, the shirt or something, is like walking. So he hides in one of the the empty <laughs> caskets and waits for them to leave. And then he goes and explores the rest of the mausoleum. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> this is the most famous iconic moment in this movie. It, sure. <laughs> I just feel like there's a lot of shit that happens in this movie that is like, this doesn't seem in the same world, but then I guess we get that explained later, right? Okay. Mm. So, a silver (laughs) orb of some sort comes flying through the air. 
and Michael is being chased by the mort- the, the mortician dude. Mm-hmm. And Michael sort of ducks out of the way, and the silver orb stabs the mortician dude in the face. <laughs> because it shoots out. It has, like, knives on its... hook knives. And then it also has a mechanism to then bore a hole... <laughs> Into the center of this gentleman's So this, this orb is flying down the hallway with knives sticking out of it. Right. Michael ducks, mm-hmm. and it hits the mortician's aid or whoever it is sure. in the forehead. And then, yes, a drill bit comes out of it mm-hmm. and drills into the guy's brain. And then there's a little blood. There's a lot of blood <laughs> because the orb was outfitted with a pee hole, basically. <laughs> So the blood coming out of this gentleman is then shooting out the ass of this orb. This like spout of blood. blood. Awesome design. Very well thought out. Because the blood would have to go somewhere. Uh, And then he falls to the ground and then pisses himself. The most realistic thing to happen in that film is <laughs> the guy. The guy dies and pees himself. I that's thinking, what happens when you I die. I have never seen that before. That's what I'm saying. In that is any the movie. most realistic thing to happen in this film. And interestingly, that one moment almost got this movie an X rating. The pee? Yes. That was the only thing the censors objected to. So not the, was that the pool of urine drilling under into that his guy. brain no, and the fountain that's of all, blood. That's all cool. Okay. That's all cool it's for the an urine hour. that we have a It was the with. urine okay. that they wow. had to be talked out of. Wow. <laughs> giving him an X rating for her. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, so for me that was that was my like takeaway from this film. That's the That only was your thing. one the yeah. one sequence yeah. that you actually like, enjoyed. Okay, sure. I mean, especially considering the budget constraints that are it was well done. Evident. Yes. Everywhere else in this movie. It's actually kind of impressive. Yeah. And it was all DIY. I mean, the silver ball, they said they tried a lot of different ways to figure out how to make it fly down. They tried to rig it up to a wire and mm-hmm. have it slide down. And they ended up just having a baseball pitcher throw it and then reverse the film and everything. So it was all... It's actually pretty well done. It's, yeah, no, it's well done. And not something you've seen a thousand times before. No, I will give it that. And it was clear what... It's like having a guard dog. Only you have... Orbs. A silver ball that patrols your hallways. Mm-hmm. Pretty indiscriminately since it actually kills the guy that works there. But right. nonetheless. Yeah. Okay, so uh, where, where are we now? I don't know where the fuck we are. So... <laughs> oh, I think we're at the finger. Yeah, the we're tall the fingers, man, right? yeah, chases him through. I love... Okay, right after that. So the, uh, the silver orb has just burrowed a hole in this guy's head. He's lying there in a pool of blood and piss. Then the tall man shows up at the other end of the hallway. Michael's standing at his end of the hallway looking at him. And Michael says, um, like he's trying to think of something to say that's going to get him out of this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then he finally just can't think, weirdly can't think of anything to say to the tall man and just starts running. Yeah. So they give chase and he, Michael runs into, I don't know where the fuck he runs into, but he ends <laughs> up doesn't matter. closing the door on one of the tall man's hands <laughs> And the hand is still moving. <laughs> the fingers are still, like, clawing. So Michael slices off the fingers <laughs> and then takes one with him for evidence. Yellow goo comes Ye- out yes, of the yellow the goo. So we, we now know the tall man is not human mm-hmm. if we did not know that before because he bleeds yellow. So his fingers are lying there on the floor still moving. Yeah. And Michael decides, I, sh- I should take one of those. Yeah. I'm just going to take that and put it in my pocket. Yeah. Which he goes to show Might Jody. need that. Might yeah. need that later. And as we mentioned, Jody is just like, yeah, that's okay. 
takes it home to show his brother, and his brother's like, okay, I believe you. Turns out... <laughs> it gets better. A finger's not just a finger. <laughs> because, they okay, they decide quite sensibly... We're going to go to the sheriff. We're going to go to the sheriff, and we're going to show him the severed finger. Yeah, which, sure, sensible, but also, what the fuck is the sheriff supposed to do <laughs> with that? But okay, yeah, all right. I would have just said, it's time for us to go. <laughs> Our parents are dead. Yeah. Nothing keeping what us in this town, really. You're like, it's time to go. Uh, Put the house on the market. So they go back to get the finger, and it turns out... <laughs> he opens the box. He's been keeping the finger in. It's like a fucking chrysalis or some shit, and the finger turns into a Muppet fly. It's the most ridiculous-looking thing. It's... <laughs> these huge red eyes and this black furry body... It is, it, it's ludicrous. But it's and here, here in this scene, I think we have DIY horror movie making at its finest. I wouldn't say at its finest. <laughs> because this fly is not actually a puppet or no. a construction. It's just a stuffed fly. It's just a thing that they then have to pretend. <laughs> so they trap it in like a jacket or something. <laughs> yeah. And so they have to pretend that it's trying to fly out of the jacket. And they're and it's super strong. Right. Apparently. So it's him and Jody struggling with this damn jacket and throwing themselves against the wall and throwing themselves down the stairs as it's if this so fly good. is struggling in this jacket to get out. It's the most ridiculous pantomime I've ever seen in my life. I... I mean, we can criticize their acting, but there's some, you know, excellent physical acting there. They commit to to it. They commit. (laughs) I suspect they punched each other in the face several times while doing that. It's just insane. It's (laughs) so they try to. The 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 only comparable scene to that is from one of our favorites, Reanimator. Oh god! Do you remember the scene where he gets the dead cat stuck on his back? Yes. And it's exactly the same level of special effect. Like, it's just, they basically just stapled this dead cat to this guy's back. Yeah. And then he, like, flings himself around like it's attacking him. So they try to put the the, the bug down the, the garbage disposal. Right. And think it works. <laughs> and then Reggie comes over. Again, everybody is too chill by half. In the middle, Reggie comes in like, hey guys, what's Given going what's on? what's going on. And so Reggie's just chatting. <laughs> and Jody and Michael are looking at the garbage disposal. And then the the puppet emerges back up the garbage disposal. <laughs> We're going to do another scene with the and jumps on the back of Michael, who falls to the ground, and then has to, again, pretend that he's struggling with this fucking bug. And they grab it again and shove it down the disposal again and stab it with a knife. And through all this, like, Reggie's sort of thrown to the floor. And is just sort of like, what's going on? What's, what's happening? So, again, not the right reaction, given what you just saw happen just curious what exactly is the right reaction leave the fucking house hey whatever's going on here does not involve me i got ice cream to sell because <laughs> the ice cream is flying fast and furious the best part is jody looks at his jacket and the hole that was created <laughs> and seems to be pissed, like off, he's about pissed the jacket. off he's like yeah shit there's a hole in my Fucked jacket. Up my jean jacket yeah <laughs> all right that's the most emotion we get out of him this whole film <laughs> 
Okay, so now we're... Uh, so yeah. Jody goes to the mortuarium or whatever the fuck. Now we're armed. Right, we're getting our guns now. Yeah. Everybody's got their guns out now. And So what I do appreciate, appreciate about Jody mm-hmm. is he gives Michael the beach. Yeah. Which is, you know, don't point a gun at someone you don't intend to shoot. Right. And don't shoot. Like, warning shots are bullshit. Shoot <laughs> right. to kill. So good big brother speech there. Mm. Uh, None of that winging yeah, stuff. Yeah, like, no. no. You, if, you're, if you're aiming and you're shooting, you shoot them to take them fuckers down, which, all right, that's good. Well done. He takes a little pistol with him back to the mausoleum, goes through the same broken window that Michael went through earlier, mm-hmm. and this is where this, he's attacked. This is where he's attacked. By the little hooded By one of the little Jawa yeah. things. <laughs> so. Which, okay, when you look back at it, you realize, okay, Michael broke that window in the first place and got in that way, so now they've posted a guard. No, they haven't. <laughs> because they don't need a guard, because what dumbass would go back and do this anyway? <laughs> So the thing, the hooded dwarf <laughs> jumps on Michael's back. And yeah. so it's up like around his neck. And Basically his head is right behind his head is Jody's The, the dwarf's head. head is right behind Jody's head. Jody takes out his gun. <laughs> and as if he's making a layup, sort of just... <laughs> Angles it the back. Gun in the most awkward ass, you're definitely going to shoot yourself in the fucking head way. To shoot the the dwarf off of him, and it works. But it, honestly, he should have shot himself in the because yeah, you, you, you should not be eight. Like that is not. <laughs> it's like he's got his hand up. He's like, ah, I think it's. I think this angle's like, about right. No, not a good move. <laughs> so then he leaves, and the the hearse follows him and tries to like run him over. Oh, that's right. He shoots into the hearse, realizes that no one is actually driving the hearse. Right. When Michael it, shows up randomly with the car here at some point to pick him up. Yes. And there's actually a, a scene there. So Jody, I don't even remember how he's out on the road. And the car comes up on him and the headlights are shining on him. And Jody points the gun at the car because he thinks it's the hearse or whatever he can't see. Right. And then for like 10 minutes. Michael just sits there and doesn't Michael move. Michael just sits there. Like why Jody didn't shoot into the car right. is a Because a the movie miracle. doesn't make any sense. And then finally Michael opens the door and says, oh, stupid door latch. Yeah. <laughs> It's all so it's terrible. a totally manufactured it's moment of suspense there. So then there's a car chase with the hearse. <laughs> Jody is shooting into the hearse. This is our action sequence. This it's is not good. <laughs> um, and he's like, I'm Jody's out of the sunroof of his try car. Try to shoot the engine, and so he shoots the engine, and then the hearse sort of hits a tree or some shit, and then they realize that. One of the dwarves was actually driving the hearse. <laughs> that, right. It wasn't that no one was driving. Right. It's just that they couldn't they see couldn't him. They couldn't see. Um, and <laughs> then they realized that that dwarf is their friend Tommy. Oh, no. How is this possible? Tommy wasn't a dwarf. So Reggie shows up with the ice cream truck. <laughs> Your patience for all of this is Because just... it's all ludicrous. And again, too calm for what the hell is just going on. Hey, we need you to help get this dwarf body out of this hearse. <laughs> bring By your the ice, way, bring, bring your refrigerated ice cream truck. It's our friend Tommy, who was six foot something and is now three foot something and a zombie. Can you put him in the back of your ice cream truck until we figure out what to do here? And Reggie says, "Is he gonna bleed all over my ice cream? Because <laughs> that's bad for business. Fair, totally fair." So then we go back to the house. <laughs> Random ass black maid. Where was this bitch the whole I movie? Don't know. And she's like, "You're looking for the boys." She just comes out of nowhere. It's like a jump scare. And it's, That's her only purpose like, in the movie. Where did we Random never Black Maid again. come from? Where did Random Black Maid come from? And we never see her again. <laughs> is she in the house this whole time? I don't know. I don't even whose house is that? Is that Jody? I Michael's think that's their house? parents' house. <laughs> so they have this black maid that just pops. That's out. just there. <laughs> never. 
never shows up again. I don't... Do not understand. <laughs> she filmed that one scene and then she read the rest of the script. And was like, it was so out. random. <laughs> so then Jody is like, okay, we got to get Michael out of here. <laughs> now, after all this, <laughs> take him to Sally's who has like an antique store, I guess, somewhere. Right. Again, more characters we've never heard never of or seen of, before. Never heard of, never seen. Don't know why they're involved. <laughs> so Reggie drives him out there. Um, and then he happens to find a picture. In the antique store, Michael's looking around, and he finds, he's looking at old photographs. It's an old picture of the tall man from... Turn of the century, sure, probably. Which basically proves that he can't possibly be human because he wouldn't have still be alive right, right now. And, and the picture, he... There's like a move. It like becomes a little... Right. In, in it, the picture movie. moves. This, by the way, is a sequence Stephen King stole outright in It. Oh. There's a, there's a similar picture... Old photograph thing of Pennywise mm-hmm. that, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so he's basically like, okay, I gotta go back to my parents' house and, and fight these dudes. <laughs> so he makes the two girls that we never met before drive him back. Okay. And they ask no questions. <laughs> like, the kid was dropped off. <laughs> right. I don't even know what the fuck Reggie told the two girls when he dropped them off. Like, oh, there's a, d- a fucking demon dude that we're fighting and we need him to stay here to be safe. And then uh, he just goes, I need to go home. And they drive him home. <laughs> Right. He's kind of a little bitch about it. He's like, you need yeah, to take me home right now. And they're like, what's going on, Micah? But they get in the car and they drive him home. On the way home, they see that the ice cream truck has been overturned on the road. Yeah. So he's like, pull over. And they pull over like idiots. Again, you're the adults in the car. You should just be like, no, we're not doing this. Michael gets out of the car, looks in the ice cream truck. Reggie's not there. Oh, but he sees that, like, the little, that, uh, Tommy Dwarf <laughs> is no longer locked up in the truck. That right. He's, he's and there's, escaped. like, yellow. He, he actually did he get did yellow get blood all, all over the ice cream. All over yeah. ice cream. Uh, so he gets back in the car, and then, obviously, the dwarves come and attack the car. And they're just sitting there. The girls are just sitting there. Watching the dwarves outside <laughs> attack the car and not driving. <laughs> And then, of course, they get in the car and they attack the girls and then just, like, throw Michael out of the back window <laughs> yeah, that, that's... and sort of jettison him from the car. <laughs> let me let me pause just to ask, out of curiosity, how clear do you think all of this is to anyone listening to this right now? It's not clear at Who all. Is... If it, like, I would imagine everybody has turned it off <laughs> <laughs> at least 10 minutes ago. Because none of this, it doesn't make sense. Because now you're listening to somebody retell somebody else's fucking dream. (laughs) Which is like exponentially worse. (laughs) I just wanted to acknowledge that. No, no no one's listening now. No one is listening. Because this is a certain freedom, I think. Insane. Uh... So Michael goes back home, and Jody doesn't really ask any questions of, like, why are you back here no, when I explicitly this is, said... No, it's just a, a dearth of questions being asked You need to go be safe movie. somewhere. So he throws him up in his room. Right. He locks him in his room to yeah. keep him out of trouble this time. Sure. I don't know where we are now. Is that where he makes his makeshift bomb? Yes, this is where he has to MacGyver that shit. Is that a real thing? <laughs> Okay, so here, here's the, I don't know enough about bullets. I mean, in theory, <laughs> yes, you can set off a shotgun shell by whacking it. With a hammer. With a, well, with a hammer and a nail, and, mm-hmm. you know, because that's basically all a gun does, is it? Right. It hits that blasting cap on the end of the thing. Uh, there's a reason shotgun shells go in shotguns, though, because that's to direct the blast. Right. So I'm pretty sure he would have just blown off his midsection doing that. That's what I thought. Because the it would have just exploded. It wouldn't have gone forward. 
But yeah, he rigs it up. He scotch tapes a shotgun shell to the front of a hammer and uses that to get out of... He bangs on the door to blow a hole in the door. The door that looked like it was just hollow particle board. He probably could have kicked it. And it opened in. (laughs) So the way Jody had locked him in wouldn't have worked in the first place. But yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Sure. So now Jody's gone back to the mortuary at this point. Is that what he did? I think so. I think. Yes, that's right. Sure. Uh, but the thin, the, I was going to call him a thin man. The tall man. He's not that thin either. He's also not that thin. Shows up at the house. Right. And captures <laughs> Jody. I mean, captures Michael and throws him into a hearse. Yeah. Somehow Michael's able to like kick out the window of the hearse. Is that what, sh- my notes, I lo- completely lose track here. And then he shoots out the tire of the hearse and we see Oh, the wait, hearse. did he? Didn't he? Did I fall asleep in that scene? I don't even remember how he got out of the hearse. Yeah, he kicks out a window, he shoots out the tire of the hearse, and then the hearse like the hearse runs into a and pole explodes and totally explodes. Only and cars would... do in movies. Exactly. Um, so we th- the tall man's dead. We then. think, obviously not, because we, again, rules of horror hearse. films, if you don't see the fucking body, then that person's <laughs> not dead. And so he like runs to the, the funeral home where he finds Michael, and Reggie is also Wait, there. okay, hold on. Right? Yes, but there's a, there's a whole thing there with them looking in their parents' coffins. Oh, right. To see if he had turned them into dwarves. (laughs) Right. It's like, oh, God, are our parents now Which doesn't matter at that point, really. That's an interesting point. They're dead. Right. Do we really care? But yeah, so Jody chickens out on looking. He's like, yeah, I don't really want to know. Yeah. And then Michael shows up and he looks in the coffin. Yeah. So I think in terms of this being a coming of age story and a moment of, you know, growing up and accepting death and all of that, I think that's a very key. No, it's Michael's a nosy ass little bitch. That's all that's very in line with his character. Of course he looked. He was watching his brother have sex in a graveyard. That's why. Whereas Jody's like, I don't need to know that. That's not my business. You know what? They died two years ago. That's that was it. I don't mm-mm. <laughs> okay, I tried. <laughs> so they find the secret room in the mausoleum. <laughs> yes, which is my favorite line, and I've already put it at the front of this episode, where Michael says, there's a door down at the end of the hallway. I bet there's something behind it. <laughs> yes. That's it's how a doors door. work. That's how doors work. Yeah, there's usually something behind a door, typically. So it's this, like, hyper-sterile space, very mm-hmm. white, full of these drums, essentially. Barrels. Barrels. Right, these barrels lined up all along the walls. And then two sort of silver... Chrome pillars. Chrome pillars. There's this, like, humming. This is actually a nice scene. That's actually, again, with the budget constraints, I think this is a nice little scene. It could have been spent elsewhere, but okay. Okay. So they're trying to figure out what's in the barrels. Turns out to be... People. Peep dwarves. <laughs> And Michael goes over to the pillars and sort of reaches his hand in the space between them, and his hand just sort of disappears into nothing. Again, for a practical effect, it works really well. Like, he puts his hand in, and his hand disappears. And really, it's just the way they shot it with angles and mirrors and shit, but it's, I think, you don't, you're unimpressed. So then he falls through <laughs> that portal. He sticks his face, which one would do? Sure. Once you figure out this is a portal to some other realm, you're going to stick your face in it. Yeah. And he (laughs) finds himself in some desolate red planet. I mean, other planet, other dimension, we don't know exactly. With the dwarves all in a line doing something. Carrying barrels. Quite tell what the fuck they're doing. (laughs) And Michael pulls him out and he's just like, yeah, I just have to reach and pull you out. Or, sorry, Jody. Oh, I I jumped over you earlier when you started to say that Reggie just magically appeared alive here. I'm fine. We thought you were dead. <laughs> I'm fine. And I also like, no, came I've been hiding in a casket. Yeah, I'm, I'm, just, totally I'm been good. hanging out. And, and the well, girls are and fine, too. And then I found some girls. 
and I just let them go, and they left like rabbits. Who? What fucking girl? The, the what? Girl? The girls in the car that were, we thought were dead too. But all, but it seemed like there was. He was like there was another girl that I didn't know. Uh, yeah. So I'm assuming that was the granddaughter. But again, not explained. We don't. We don't know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Reggie's there. Thank God, <laughs> Reggie's there. Uh, Jesus. So. So Michael emerges from the portal. Right. With the with the the key to this whole plot. So. <laughs> and this is where I ask you to pause. Because he comes out and he's like, oh, the dwarves are a slave race. And the reason they have to be dwarves. <laughs> this is where Nakia literally made me pause the movie and was like, okay, wait a minute. They have to be dwarves because the, on that planet, the gravity and the heat, the only way they could survive is if they're shrunken. <laughs> what? One, where did you get this information from? No one, literally no one said this to him. No no one said anything. He just saw the dwarves on the planet. He he looked down, he saw a bunch of dwarves carrying barrels, and he Surmised that, oh, the gravity here is different. So the tall man. It's hot as hell. (laughs) So they have to be dwarves. Which, what? You gotta be dwarves. uh, That's not. Because the gravity is more or less or something. Right, no. Which means you've gotta be a dwarf. You don't, though. To be an effective your planet you just your body planet. no <laughs> and what the fuck does heat have to do with it you need a low center of gravity no and uh none of that makes any sense <laughs> and we're, again where did he get that information and from? maybe they only had those robes in that size what no none of it and then a slave race for what i don't a slave race to carry the barrels of the slave race. This is a very circular production line. I don't understand. Is that all that they're doing? Are you creating them to carry themselves? Yeah, that is make work. Onto that's this just... planet. I don't I don't get it. So that's what I was definitely So done. this is the whole plot of this movie is that the tall man has been here for apparently hundreds of years. At least. Acting as a mortician, collecting human bodies, shrinking, shrinky dinking them down, mm-hmm. putting them in robes, stuffing them in barrels, and th- putting them through the portal to go serve Just as to a carry more barrels. On his home all we see them do is carry more barrels slash dementia. Well, we don't spend a lot of time there. I'm sure Apparently, he spent enough sure fucking time that he came things. back with a whole fucking thesis statement for why they exist. <laughs> Well, here we come back to, you were saying this was a plantation. Apparently it is. It's all about slavery. Everything's about slavery when we come back to it. At least that it's was a, producing it's something. It's a metaphor for... You got cotton. You got tobacco. <laughs> They're not producing anything but themselves. I don't understand. To what end? <laughs> Are we at the end of this movie yet? <laughs> no, unfortunately. So This is about the point where it felt like we were at the we climax of this movie. We should be ending, and we were not... <laughs> Because Reggie... So, earlier in the movie... Oh, okay. Reggie... <laughs> apparently, Reggie and, and Jody play shitty music together. And How did we skip over that song? I can't believe we skipped over the musical portion Because there was movie. nothing to say other than it's shitty. <laughs> so, he was playing with a tuning fork on the porch when they were singing. Fast forward to... We're now in the storage room with mm. the silver pillars mm-hmm. and the buzzing noise. <laughs> Reggie reflects and is like, oh shit, it's like a tuning fork. Mm. And puts both his hands at the same time on the top of the pillars and the, the humming noise stops. But then that apparently fucks shit up. Or it like completely, I think what it does is it opens the portal it, sure. completely. And it becomes a vacuum and it starts right. sucking all of the barrels into the portal. <laughs> and also Reggie almost. Almost. Which is a scene I love because again, all through this movie, I'm just thinking about the practical effects part. Because mm-hmm. what's happening there is they've got the wind machine going. Reggie 
Reggie's lying on the floor, acting like he's going to get sucked into this portal. And then off screen, people are just throwing barrels at him. <laughs> and you can see that they like almost hit him several times with these barrels. It's bad. <laughs> So it's causing basically the entire environment around the mausoleum to be fucked up because it's wind. Now it's windy. The portal's not supposed to be open like this apparently. Even outside, now it's just sucking everything so in. it's just everybody's now running in a windstorm, calling each other's name and trying to find each other on a lawn that's not that big. It's not that and yet they, big. they can't find. And there's each nobody other. else out there. Well, there is. So Reggie's outside. <laughs> He gets he makes it out of the wind tunnel. He comes outside of the mausoleum and he sees a girl lying on the ground and he thinks she's hurt. Right. So he goes to like help her and she Oh no, it's our old friend, the the lady in lavender is how she's building the sure. credits. And stabs him as that is is her only role. And then as we know that is actually the tall man stabbing right. him. And so we see the tall man standing over Reggie with the knife. And Michael and Jody are just like, oh, we got to go home. And so they. What about Reggie? They, Reggie's, Reggie's dead. dead. Dude. Reggie's dead. Yeah. Because again, Jody is just like, no, <laughs> Reggie's dead. We got to go. So then he remembers there's a mine shaft open. Wait, so I got to have a question here. Okay. Sure. Um, a plot question, perhaps you can answer. Why not? There's an ambiguous special effect there. Because there's there's a shot of the mansion, mortuary, whatever it is, funeral home. It looks like it's going away or something. Right. Is it? Does the whole house get sucked into the portal? Is it kind of like the end of Poltergeist, where it looks like that's what's the whole to be house happening. just disappears? It, that's what it looks and like. And they just didn't really have the budget for we that. We do not know what the hell happened there, as we don't know what the hell happened <laughs> in any of this movie. Okay. So sure, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. But yeah, the tall man is still chasing him. Yeah. So Jody's like, oh, there's an open mine shaft somewhere. We can just get him to fall into the mine shaft and it's like a thousand feet down and he'll die or whatever. He'll be trapped. Sure. Good point. Sure. An exploding hearse didn't kill him. I don't know. And so he tells Michael, okay, you go back to the house, make sure it's all locked up and just stay there. Why he keeps telling this boy to do, because the dude, he does not follow instructions. He's not like, just (laughs) let him go with you. So Michael goes back to the house, is locking up the window. Tall man shows up at the window, breaks through the window, and then they chase each other through the house. Tall man shows him, hey, bitch, I got my fingers back, by the way. (laughs) Um, So now we know that he can regenerate his parts. And so (laughs) the tall man chases him through town. He sees the lady in lavender again. So sure, this brings back the like fear of sex, fear of women thing. Right. I said that because I think... To me, and I, I I understand that you object to trying to find any logic in mm-hmm. this, there's really no reason for the tall man to turn into, to a, turn woman, into yeah. a woman. Other than to trap, I guess, the dudes, I guess. But does it, like, he, it seems like he could have just grabbed dudes. Yeah, like, there's no... Well, and so here's that, too. Why the fuck is he chasing Michael through the woods? Like, he can appear places. He seems to have telekinetic powers, because at one point in the film, he looks at Michael on his motorbike, and Michael falls off the motorbike, <laughs> a la Carrie. So, like, he has some sort crazy of power. Crazy, crazy, crazy. Why are you chasing this boy yeah, through the no, woods? It's, it's all unclear. Can't you just appear wherever the fuck you Why, have? for that matter, if if the the tall man's whole mission here is to take dead bodies, he's got this mortuary thing set up mm-hmm. where so he can get all the free dead bodies he wants. Why is he out there killing Tommy anyway? Is well, he just dead. not is he not meeting quota? I mean there may not is be a the people though. I mean, you know, it's a small town. I don't you imagine he gets slaves. a lot of bodies. Okay. So I mean, you know, it's not like a city. Maybe the tall man should move to a fucking city. But yes, thematically, I think the whole woman reason he turns into a woman is because then we've got the fear of sex and right. the fear of death thing right. working together. Anyway, he's chasing <laughs> Michael through the woods, and he's obviously tired. So I'm just like, well, why are you running after, like, don't you have powers? Can't you just... Anyway, so he falls into the mine shaft, and then you get the... 
the least believable like avalanche of rocks <laughs> fall down. So wait, so okay, so the thin man was uh, the tall man was chasing Michael. Michael like jumps over the mine shaft right. hole. The tall man falls into it. Yeah. Michael is still right beside this hole. Yes. Like three feet away from this hole. Yes. Off screen. In a special effect we couldn't afford, mm-hmm. Jody has apparently started an avalanche of huge ass boulders. <laughs> of huge ass boulders. Mm-hmm. How? We, we don't know. know. These boulders look too big for him to have moved. But how he didn't think that would kill his brother when he started an avalanche? Thing. I would posit he probably wanted to kill his brother. <laughs> pain in the ass. Anyway, so yeah, so the rocks fall on top of the mine shaft, and it seems that the tall man is trapped for now. Forever. Not forever. <laughs> and then we're back at the house, and it's Reggie and Michael. Well, no, Reggie's dead. Reggie is not dead. Because <laughs> guess what? It was all a dream. <laughs> because Michael's parents had died, and then apparently Jody had also died in a car accident at some right. point. So it's actually Jody, Reggie didn't die, Jody did die, yeah. uh, none of this other stuff happened, happened, apparently, and it was all just this boy's <laughs> sort of mental break around the death of his entire family. And he's now living with Reggie, Reggie Oops. is his guardian. Yeah, too comfortable, but okay. Um, and it's just like, yeah, you've been through a lot. <laughs> Just a natural dream. that you have bad dreams. I'm not Jody, but I'm gonna try to be, which is a weird like that's not something you should say. <laughs> and then he's like, you know what? Why don't we get out of here? Why don't we just leave this mm. place and and so go pack your shit? And it's like you're leaving in the middle of the night. Michael goes up to his room to start packing his things. He goes to his closet, which has a mirror on it. And as he closes the closet door, we see that dun, the dun, dun. tall man is <laughs> standing behind him, but looks like he's hung on a hook. On the wall, the way that he said, it's very odd. And he's like, something boy. Uh, and then some monsters grab Michael into the closet, and that's that. <laughs> that's, the, that's the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. It's a terrible movie. So, wow. Food for thought, huh? Not really. Not really at all, no. Yeah, that ending, uh, I literally do not understand the point of that. I mean, I understand horror movies wanting to throw in one final twist. That one just, I don't... Well, and it's like, none of it was scary. So it wasn't even like, oh, we got one last scare in. It wasn't scary. And it wasn't... And this is where... Because the cut from the previous scene to that scene... Mm -hmm. Like, we don't even get the traditional shot of, like, the kid waking up in bed... No. Screaming or something. No. It's like a normal edit where suddenly Reggie's alive and Jody is dead. It's weird. And again... To me, as a director, like I said before, I do think Coscarelli has some talent. I think his camera placement and everything is good. To me, it's as an editor that he Mm. falls apart because the cuts in this movie just do not line up. And that's one of those things that you can explain a little bit by saying it's a dream. It's a dream, right. Right? Because that's how things work in dream, that the the edits just don't make sense from one... Thing. But it it's also just badness. Yes, it's also just bad storytelling. Yeah. So what did it what did it all mean? Give a fuck. Uh, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it means you know traumatized children should go to therapy, should get <laughs> mental health care. Here is uh, this is Mindy Clegg writing at Tropics of Meta. According to Coscarelli, his primary motivation in writing Phantasm was to explore the American funeral industry, hinting at its alienating nature. 
How we care for our dead today often makes death a somewhat alien process for most people. We send the bodies away and they appear at a funeral home, often looking too alive for us to process the reality. For-profit funeral corporations dominate the marketplace for burying or cremating our loved ones. In other words, like many other aspects of American life, death has been commodified. So that's, that's what this movie was about. It's about the funereal industry and the impersonality and commodification of death. Did you get that? No. <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> do you want to watch it again? No. Maybe with that. No, I don't. With that in mind, and I, I do not. Maybe pick up on some of the the subtext that you were you missed this time. No, I mean sure. Yeah, okay. <laughs> it's about the commodification of death, and we've made it alien and impersonal, and we've removed ourselves. Or, yeah, I guess. Yeah, all that has happened. Um, again, it. We're reaching, like we are reaching <laughs> <laughs> to make this make sense. Uh, so yes, if this film was exploring that in some way, then yeah, that would be interesting. That could be, and we could say, okay, oh, the yellow blood is embalming fluid. And, uh, oh, I hadn't even thought of that. Exactly. You see how much bullshit? Sure, we can go there. <laughs> I got a degree in bullshit. I can absolutely do it. <laughs> Should I have to? Does it make a film enjoyable? No. So, uh, did you did you do postgraduate work in bullshit? <laughs> so it's just like I I mean you know what this is why I just want to be a fucking tree. <laughs> when you die, that's what you, exactly. Just you make want me that a, thing where they a, turn exactly, you into a tree. Make me a fucking tree. I don't know. That might be expensive. Wow. I think I might just have you shrunk down and sold for slave labor. That's fucked up. <laughs> so uh, where where do you put this on the on the scale of uh you know essential? Horror no, classic? Not for me. No. Nowhere near. Interesting cult phenomenon worth checking out. Not for... I mean, <laughs> if someone else wants to watch it, I will not begrudge someone else watching it. I will never watch this film again. <laughs> would, you, would you recommend it? Would you say to someone else, you gotta check out I mean, it depends Fantasm. on who that person is, right? So, if it's someone that seems like they would be into it, then I'd say, yeah, you seem odd here to watch this film, but... And what about the uh, four sequels? Well, I can't speak to those as I have not watched them. No, I'm saying, would you like to watch oh, no. them? No, 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 no. Oh, we didn't talk about literally the most famous scene in the movie. The scene that made the Bravo list of the scariest moments of all time, which is Michael's dream sequence where he's lying in bed and then suddenly the tall man is behind him in like the graveyard. You, you remember this scene? Mm-hmm. <laughs> was one of the scariest moments of all time. You know who did it better? Yes. Fiddler on the Roof. <laughs> I'm so, so proud of you <laughs> right now for saying that. Fiddler on the Roof did it better. I agree. <laughs> and you have just justified my entire existence. The fact that you made that reference. My work is done. Mm -hmm. You should be proud. That's our show. We want to thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next week as we continue the Unenthusiastic Critics Halloween Movie Marathon. Nakia, as much as you think I'm in this solely to torment you, I actually do like to follow a movie like Phantasm, which I did not expect that you would like, with something I think you might actually enjoy. So, on our next episode, we're going to be watching Guillermo del Toro's 2001 ghost story, The Devil's Backbone. Okay. You were a fan of I love Guillermo. Yes. Okay. So I am excited about that. 
this is a good companion piece to uh, one of your favorite movies. Pan's Labyrinth? Pan's Labyrinth. Okay. Okay. Uh, the Devil's Backbone is available on Shudder, and it's also available to rent from all the other major streaming services. In the meantime, you can find us on the web at unaffiliatedcritic.com, follow us on Twitter at FreeRangeCritic, and subscribe to the show through Apple Podcasts or your favorite app. In any of these places, we encourage you to leave a comment on the show or suggest a film Nakia desperately needs to see to make her life complete. Until next time, remember, true love means conning your partner into watching movies they really, really don't want to watch. See, I swear there's a there's a rape scene in Sleepwalkers. There's not a rape scene in Sleepwalkers. He rapes her in the graveyard or whatever. First of all, he does not rape her. He makes out with her and then tries to suck her soul. <laughs> that is not rape. You're, you're drawing some very fine, that is not some rape. very fine distinctions here. <laughs> it is not rape. He tries to suck her that soul. That is a really interesting moral. No, that is not rape. Line you were trying that is to draw. Not ra- I know that is not <laughs> rape. That is, <laughs> I think he like punches her in the face and throws her down and then tries they're, to suck her they're soul. They're on the ground out. making out when he's still in human form and then he starts <laughs> to suck her soul. And then she sees his actual true form and she starts to freak out. Okay? As as one would, sure. As one would. It is not rape. She hits him with a camera <laughs> and then like takes his eye out with a wine cork thing. <laughs> but it's not rape. And then the black cop comes. With his cat Clovis. With his cat Clovis. We need to stop because people are going to start wishing this is what we were talking about this week. Then the kid, alien kid, (laughs) stabs the cop in the ear with a pencil and says, what? Cop kebab. (laughs) Fucking brilliant. Tell me. (laughs) That is not amazing. I'm glad we're getting you on record, though. Stephen King. If you defend this movie, you can't attack anything else. And wrote cop kebab. (laughs) I don't even know that he wrote that. It's... It's amazing. I doubt he claims that one. It is amazing. And Black Cop's still not dead. Was still alive after being (laughs) jammed in the brain with a pencil. Clovis survives. (laughs) That's really what matters. It really is. I'm just trying to, like, you keep trying to put Sleepwalkers on a level that I'm just not comfortable with. So it's important that we elevate it. It's at the lowest level. Like, that's where it is. Like, on the bottom shelf, that's where Sleepwalkers is. That's where you will find it. But what I'm saying is it shouldn't be... (laughs) And I think if you ask Stephen King, he would say it's in his, like, top two films that he's ever done. <laughs> I don't think he would. Yes, he would. I think he'd say it's down there with the one I directed, Maximum Overdrive, no, no, which wouldn't. is one of the worst movies ever made. No, no, it's an excellent film. I would, at this point, normally I would invite our listeners to... Everyone's in it. Mark Hamill's in it. To write in if they've seen and enjoyed Sleepwalkers, the but they, nobody Hellboy has. The is in it. Stephen King is in it. Uh, John Landis is in it. There are all these random... These are all people who saw this and was like, I want to be a part of that. Even if it's just a random cameo... Because they're all random. None of them really have any reason to we're, be in the we're film. Done. We're done talking about sleepwalkers. But they wanted to be now. a part of this project. Because they said, alien lovers who play mother and son on Earth, <clears throat> who must suck the life force out of virgins, who are also somehow very hyper allergic to cats. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to edit all of this out. Just so you know. You can keep talking, but I'm going to edit all of this out. Disappear themselves and anything that they touch. <laughs> and also change the form of things. They're afraid of cats. It's an allergy. <laughs> it's very severe. It's amazing. <laughs> so good. This is what I'm dealing with, people. <laughs>